When you hear the name Anne M. Martin, your mind probably goes first to the Babysitter's Club. And why wouldn't it? There are, after all, a whopping 132 books in the BSC series, to say nothing of the spinoffs. But Anne M. Martin wrote other books too, including the one we are talking about today. Just a Summer Romance was published in 1987. While it was new to me for this episode, it was formative for my guest, who will share more with you in just a little bit about how it inspired her own career as a romance author. In Just a Summer Romance, main character Melanie Braverman falls fast and hard for a mysterious boy named Justin while enjoying her family's annual summer beach trip. Justin is extremely vague with the details of his life, and in the absence of social media stalking, Mel must say her goodbyes before school starts and hope that their paths might cross again, especially because Justin said that it would be best to leave their relationship as, yep, just a summer romance. But what happens when Mel discovers that her summer love is a budding TV star? It's aspirational and cringy and so many other things, and we'll talk about them all today. Other topics of conversation include this book's hilarious cover art, Mel as an aspirational main character, the escapism of a summer vacation, the harmful diet discourse of the 80s and 90s, catcalling, Justin's many red flags, the maturity level of our two main characters, and the weird nostalgic magic of a story like this told without the internet as we know it today. We also share some anecdotes about crushes and coming of age from our own tween years. Spoiler alert, some of mine are pretty embarrassing. Today's guest is Fallon Ballard, who loves to write about love. When she's not writing fictional love stories, she's helping real couples celebrate as a wedding planner in Southern California. Fallon has a deep appreciation for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is a Disneyland devotee, and a reality TV aficionado. If she's not busy wrangling her six-year-old, you can probably find her drinking wine and posting a picture on Instagram while simultaneously snarking on Twitter. You probably know Fallon from her debut novel, Lease on Love, which hit shelves last year. Her new book, Just My Type, is out now. You can follow Fallon on Instagram and Twitter at Fallon Ballard. I had so much fun chatting with Fallon. Thank you for joining me. Thanks to all of my listeners too, for tuning in week after week, for sharing their love for SSR with friends, and for anything else you've done to support the work I do. If you're looking for ideas for how to do this, here are just a few. You can leave a five-star rating or review of the podcast on your listening platform of choice. You can post about this episode on your Instagram story. You can shop for SSR bookmarks, stickers, and other merch at www.ssrpodcast.com shop. You can even become an SSR supporter over on Patreon, which will give you access to so much fun stuff. You can join our Patreon family for as little as $1 per month. When you do, depending on your sponsorship tier, you can do things like participate in our monthly book club, jump into our SSR Discord, read my monthly newsletter, tune into and participate in bonus episodes, watch reading recap videos, and more. Join us at www.patreon.com ssrpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. As of this week, there's actually a brand new perk for all SSR patrons. When you join the podcast's Patreon, you'll get 35% off the audiobook of your choice from my friends at Libro FM. 
I'm thankful to Libra FM for working with me to make this happen. If Patreon isn't the right fit for you at the moment, I hope you will still visit Libra FM. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M for all of your audiobook needs. When you shop with my partners there, you will be supporting independent bookstores instead of giant corporations. We all need to use Amazon now and then, but it's great to find places to make the switch, and this is one of them. The audiobooks you buy from Libra FM are exactly the same as the ones you buy from the big guys. I recently finished listening to Prince Harry's Spare on Libra FM, and I really loved it. Find your next great audiobook at Libra FM and use code SSR Podcast when prompted to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old-school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Fallon. Welcome to SSR. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here. We didn't like necessarily plan this perfectly, but it has kind of worked out perfectly because we are recording on Valentine's Day. We are coming at you listeners from about a month in the past as you're listening to this. And we are talking about an extremely juicy teen romance called Just a Summer Romance by one Anne M. Martin. This one was totally new to me. I had never heard of it. But I love anytime I get to learn a little bit more about Anna Martin and her non-Babysitter's Club backlist. I understand, Fallon, that this book holds a very special place in your heart. So tell me everything. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I can probably credit this book with why I am now a romance writer. Like, I I mean, I was obsessed with the Babysitter's Club as a kid, obviously, as we all were. And so I, of course, was like, oh, well, here's another book by Anna Martin. I'm going to pick this up. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like everything I ever wanted as a teenager. Like, it was like just this wish fulfillment fantasy dream. And I was like, I want to write things like that, that maybe feel somewhat unrealistic (laughs) in some ways, but are just like so perfect and warm and squishy. And rereading this book, it was just like, ugh, such a joy. (laughs) Is this the first time you revisited it since like the first time all those years ago? Okay, so this was big. And I had to I had to order a special copy. So I ordered a copy, like an old copy. I got one off of eBay and it showed up and I was like, this is not the cover that I had when I was a kid. And apparently the cover I had when I kid when I was a kid was really hard to find, but I found one copy of it on eBay in Canada. And I was like, send this to my house. I don't care what you're gonna charge me. I need it. And I was like, Ugh, money is no object. <laughs> All of my it just like the flashbacks were just so magical. Okay, I'm glad you brought up the cover because we need to talk about the cover. Which cover do you have? Can I see? Okay, so this is the one that I had when I was a kid. That's the one I have. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. This is the one I originally got, which is like not summery. 
to me at all. And I was like, no, this is wrong. And so then I went out of my way to find this one because it's just so good. (laughs) So (laughs) I find this cover just such a fantastic introduction (laughs) to this book and the conversation that I'm sure we're about to have. I love the cover so much that I've posted about it multiple times on Instagram stories. It's so good. Because, and listeners, if you haven't seen it, I will make sure that I post it both in the show notes for this episode and then again on social media this week. So let's just paint the picture. Everyone close your eyes unless you're driving. (laughs) We have this, you know, painterly sunset in shades of red and yellow. It's, It's beautiful. I guess it's actually sunrise because this is the East Coast. And so it would be coming up that way in the morning. I'm taking it too seriously, though. But anyway, it's this beautiful sky against the water. And we have these, these two people taking a stroll in the water. The woman, and I'm going, I'm using the word woman very specifically here, not girl. The woman is wearing sort of a Pamela Anderson-esque one piece and I did just watch the Pamela Anderson documentary on Netflix this weekend so that's very top of mind her hair is blowing in the wind and then the man who really is chiseled she's just hanging on to his arm is there anything that you would like to add to the word picture that I just painted I mean yeah my first instinct as I was looking at this again yesterday I was like these are not teenagers thank you like they're absolutely no way I have never seen a 15 year old boy who looks like this in my life like I was just like it's wild that they're supposed to be like 14 and 15. (laughs) I mean I could have gotten behind like 17 or 18 and because I'd never read this book I sort of assumed from looking at the cover that we were talking about like high school juniors or seniors and then I started the book and we find out that Melanie is 14. Yeah. And I was like, I'm sorry, what the fuck? Like, we never had a chance. If these are the (laughs) covers that we grew up around, and this, like, if I had picked this book up when I was 9, 10, 11, which is probably how old I would have been if I had stumbled on it, and I thought that this is what I was supposed to look like at the age of 14, I mean, no wonder, no wonder we are all so messed up about our bodies. We never had a chance. Yeah. For sure. And I mean, she describes herself in the book as like being awkward and like so weird. And like, I'm like, what? (laughs) No, that is not the picture you gave me. (laughs) I mean, not even the like super confident, cool TikTok dancer 14 year olds of 2023 are this cool. So I just I had to get that out of the way. I do think it sets the tone for the book. But let's get into the actual book itself. Uh, Worth noting that it was published in 1987 and that the Babysitter's Club started in 1986. So at the very beginning of Anne M. Martin's rise to fame when this book comes out. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. Like she probably had no idea what was going to happen with this like weird little series that she was working on about babysitters. And then she put out this steamy teen romance. (laughs) So we meet. Melanie Braverman, a.k.a. Mel, who spends all of her summers on Fire Island with her family. Fallon, tell me what it was like reconnecting with Mel as an adult. Did you remember at all, like, maybe why you connected with her the first time? Or, like, I guess just how did you feel about her on this read? Rereading as an adult was super interesting because I think when I was 
reading this, I was probably, you know, like 12 or 13. And I think in a lot of ways, I wanted to be more like Mel. Like I was a very like shy, just kind of keep to myself, like didn't feel very confident or secure teenager. Um, And Mel has those moments. But in general, she's very outgoing. She is not afraid to talk to people like she pretty much just puts herself out there. And that is always a quality that I I wanted and never had and still don't have. (laughs) I'm still like, super awkward and talking to people. But I just thought that she was just so cool. And I wanted to be like her. And even reading it as an adult, I was like, Oh, I can see why I was like, really drawn to her when I was a teenager. Yeah, I think there's also this aspirational thing about like, summering at the beach with your family and the escapism of having a place that you get to go for three months out of the year that's separate from school because school is like of course when you're a kid that's kind of the identity that you get stuck with like especially if you live in the same place your whole life the people that you go to middle school and then to high school with know you as a kid and it's really hard to reinvent yourself but Mel has this really cool thing where she gets to go and live another life in the summers she has this like summer best friend Lacey and they have their separate routines that they do and it's like all hers and I can see how that might be very attractive to a young reader who doesn't have that kind of outlet. Yeah. And I think even just like the beach setting, like I was born and raised in Southern California. So obviously beaches were a part of my childhood for sure. But just the idea of just being there all the time. And I think the other thing too, is she has a lot of freedom in this book, like reading this now as a parent, I was like, wow, they really just let her do whatever she wants. Like, that's kind of cool. I wish I had had that freedom. That would be amazing. But I think when you're like, you know, in a little beach town, and there aren't that many people there. Also, it's the 80s, you know, you have the ability to kind of go off and do your own thing and, and have that independence that I think as teenagers, we're all desperately searching for. Yeah, her parents really seem to trust this community that they've built. Yeah. Um, it feels like a sort of safe little bubble for their kids. They also have an older daughter who goes by D, and then a son named Timmy who is younger than Mel. And they all kind of just like do their own thing, which is great for them. I, I love that experience for them. I did want to touch a little bit on Mel's relationship with her mother, specifically as it relates to food, because that really stood out to me. And listeners know that I'm kind of like a student of this stuff as somebody who has experienced her fair share of body dysmorphia, disordered eating. I'm always kind of taking in new information and trying to make sense of why I landed where I did with some of this stuff. And I think that this book is sadly a really great example of, again, like sort of what I said about the cover. We didn't really stand a chance, those of us who grew up Mm -hmm. in the 80s and 90s, because this book and Mel... They're both so steeped in 80s diet culture and conversation about bodies and food. What did you think about that? Yeah, it's definitely something that caught my attention as I was reading this as an adult. And of course, knowing what I know now about all of the things that we experienced as teenagers. And I 100% can guarantee that my mom made those same kinds of comments where on the surface, it seems like it's not really that big of a deal. Like, oh, I'm just, you know, making sure you're not only eating M&Ms all day long. But it comes with this sort of like tinge of judgment that I, when you're reading it as an adult, it's like, ooh, 
Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> yeah, Mel's sweet tooth is almost like her whole personality, which I thought was kind yes. of funny, just like from a writing perspective. Like, come on, my girl Anna Martin. Reach a little further. It was just so funny how like at every opportunity for there to be food, whether it was a snack or a meal, Mel's like, I would like to have ice cream. And I, yeah. I get that. I love sweets. But her mom, in turn, didn't miss an opportunity to be like, Mel, your skin, your body, you know, there's just always your teeth. Your teeth. <laughs> it was just very pointed and it, it kept coming up again and again. And then there was another weird moment at the beginning of the book where Mel is talking about how she's never had a boyfriend, which I, I didn't have a boyfriend until I was like 16 or 17. I didn't have my first kiss until I was 16 or 17. So all of that would have felt really good to me as a kid reader to just be like, oh, here's somebody who's had that same experience. But she and her mom also talk about the fact that Mel has never been whistled at by a boy before. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that little line in itself was such an interesting example of like how our language around the pursuit of relationships has changed in the 20 plus years since this book came out I guess 30 plus years because now it's like the catcalling thing is certainly not aspirational but I remember even in the 90s like all of the movies and tv shows and books that we consumed like being catcalled having a man usually whistle at you or yell at you on the street like that was considered a sign of some sort of social capital and we have thankfully moved away from that but it was just interesting to be reminded that that was a thing yeah and it's one thing I found interesting as I was reading it and I guess it is really just like the sign of the times is to me the relationship between Mel and her mom felt so authentic yeah and I think it's because it really did mirror the way that parents talked to their children at that time period which obviously now looking back we know is not the way you should be talking to your children and the catcalling thing is really interesting because I developed very early on and so when I was like 11 and 12 I was already having the cat calling and the inappropriate comments and things like that and so I I remember as a child feeling almost like shamed by that because I was so young and then when I did get to high school and was like wanting some of that attention and it made me like didn't feel like I was getting the attention I wanted from the people I wanted I had a lot of like mixed emotions and a lot of stuff that I had to unpack later on in life about all of that reaction. But it is, I think, so great that we have moved on from that. And we can look at that now and be like, this is not how we should be treating our children and not what we should be saying to our children. And as a mom, I have a son. And I, I know that I am very aware of like, These are things that you don't say to people and especially raising a boy to be like, that's not how we talk to women. That's not how we talk about women. Like, we're not doing that. Let's let's make things a little better, please. Yeah, it's like reframing that conception of masculinity and like and also I I think it's just wild to me reading a book like this to be reminded of the fact that there was a time in my lifetime And not only in my lifetime, but like at a time when I was able to sort of absorb that kind of attention, when that non-consensual attention Mm -hmm. was considered 
something to be proud of. Yeah. It feels icky to even say it, but I remember feeling that way as a tween and as a teenager and I did not develop early. And so I think for me, it was like, it wasn't until I was old enough to sort of feel a little bit more comfortable with it that I started to get that attention. And yeah, it's just so bizarre that that is the world that we grew up in. And it has, it has of course not changed everywhere and we have so much further to go. But for me, there were a lot of moments in this book where I was like, okay, like the conversation really has changed in a really healthy manner. And I do think we've made some real strides. Yeah, I think if you were writing a book like this today and like, they're like, especially with the stuff with Mel and her mom, like that would be addressed as like a conflict to overcome. Like that would be something that Mel would have to work on and, you know, either speak up for herself or her mom would have to say or do something or change something. Like it wouldn't just go as like, oh, this is normal conversation. It would be like, oh, this is part of the trauma of this character. We need to resolve it. For sure. But we also have to talk about like the summer romance. Yes. (laughs) And how all of this happens. It is Valentine's Day. It's a day of love. And we do have this hot couple on the cover of the book to explore. They have this meet cute in which Mel's little brother, Timmy, is throwing a Frisbee around and the Frisbee smacks Justin, who is the love interest in the book, in the nose. And I do have to say... People who follow me on Instagram will know that as we record this, about three weeks ago now, I was playing fetch with my dog and (laughs) he he headbutted me in the nose, broke my nose. Oh no. Uh, He has the sweetest dog in the world. He broke my nose and a week later I had to get surgery to correct my broken nose. So I was reading this about a week after that happened and I was like, this is way cuter than it should have been because <laughs> Justin is like, ow, my nose. And it's, and first of all, it's a Frisbee. Like, I don't know how much damage it could do, but it was weird because it felt like I was supposed to buy into all this drama around the Frisbee and the nose, but then like nothing happened. And this is just my own personal life, of course, running parallel <laughs> with a book for the podcast. But I was like, honestly, I was like, fuck you, Justin. Like, I would like to see your nose sustain the kind of damage that my nose sustained from my beautiful golden retriever. <laughs> yes. I think Justin's saving grace there is that Timmy is only like eight or nine, I think. So th- it probably wasn't a lot of force behind the, f- the frisbee throw. But yeah, I did write down, I was like, oh, that's, that, that's a, that's a meat cute that like, I don't want to say it was like brilliant or groundbreaking or anything like that. Cause obviously it's definitely not, but I do feel like in terms of like teenage romance it was it was a pretty good one I liked it and that's totally something that I think as a teenager I fantasized about like yes again as somebody who who made a very late foray into relationships and was very shy like I was much more in my head about wanting to be in a relationship than I was really in my body like wanting to pursue relationships when I was a teenager But I do remember feeling like no matter where I was, I was eyeing up like what would be the cutest possible thing that could happen for me (laughs) to meet a boy who I've never even like laid eyes on. Like what's the, in this situation, what's the cutest thing that could happen? And I think if I'd read this book, I would have been like, yes, I will go to a park and I don't have a younger brother, but I have younger sisters. But like one of my little sisters will do something stupid. (laughs) And then we will fall in love that I think that would have been very appealing to me. Yeah. And I think the sort of like added bonus of like having the vacation romance. Yeah. Like I definitely remember having those uh, 
teenage fantasies whenever you would go on a family vacation. Like, well, maybe I'll meet the love of my life and we'll spend two seconds together (laughs) and fall madly in love. (laughs) Totally. Like, I would spend so much time boogie boarding on family vacations at the Jersey Shore. (laughs) And I remember, you know, in my, like, rash guard and my boogie board (laughs) – and I would just be out in the water for hours on end, just being like, here I am. Like, I'm waiting. Come anytime. Like, this is the summer I'm going to meet and fall in love with a boy on my boogie board. And yeah, that's sort of what happened to Mel. It just was a frisbee and not a boogie board. Yeah, it really was. Like, the whole book and the the meet cute and everything, it's just like everything I ever wanted for myself as a teenager. Yes, Exactly. Okay, so what did you think about the way in which Mel, with the help of Lacey, kind of pursues Justin? Because she, we know that she's really into detective novels. Um, so she yes. is able to bring some of that expertise into her search for Justin. Because after the Frisbee incident, they go their separate ways. What did you think about what happened next? I mean, she basically stalks him. Correct. And is like straight up like follows him to his house and then hides behind a sand dune and is spying on him and goes so far as to like have her friend bring her binoculars so that she can like watch his house, which now I'm like, I think even maybe when I read this as a kid, I was like, that's a little weird. But now I'm like, that's illegal. Like, what are you doing? Stop doing that. That is not how we make friends. We do not spy on people when they are in their house. It's not like he was like out at a restaurant and she was like, oh, I'll go watch him. It's like he is in his home with his family. This is this is not not okay. (laughs) I liked when she was like, I wonder what he's having for breakfast. Like, maybe I can see what he's eating and. And I get that so again, weird. it's so creepy and it's so weird. But if I try to bring myself back to that time when I was in the same moment, desperate to fall in love and terrified to fall in love and scared of boys and so ready to meet the boy, I think that I was really fascinated by the details of somebody that I could sort of latch onto, like what they ate for breakfast. I remember... In geometry class, when I was probably a freshman, I remember that the first time I had a real conversation with the boy that I proceeded to be in love with for like all of high school from afar, we just talked about Lucky Charms for like 10 minutes. (laughs) And I thought that I was like, I'm in. Like, yes, we just talked about cereal. So it's creepy, but I, I get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think as teenagers, we definitely and especially teenage girls in that culture, we had the uh, the desire to always just know everything we could about this person. And we didn't have social media. So it's not like you can Google them or like go stalk their Instagram, which, you know, teenagers now have access to so much more information about their crushes than we ever did. So I guess you had to do it the old fashioned way and and spy on them while they're eating breakfast on their balcony. (laughs) I'm so glad you brought up the social media thing because as I was like going through all of my notes in the margins this morning before we jumped on to talk, I kept coming back to the fact that this is like such a pre-social media novel. And of course we know that because it was written in 1987 and we read so many books for the podcast that were written pre-social media. But there's something about this book and the way that it unfolds, this whole like, you know, summer romance, meet cute, living in a different town than you're usually living. Like all of these things, a kid today would not get it. Because every single part of this book is reliant on 
these kids not only not being able to get in touch with each other, but also not knowing anything about each other. Like I, I thought it was so funny when Lacey and Mel are kind of trying to figure out who this guy is and Mel's using her detective expertise. She's like, well, I can tell that he hasn't been here for very long because have you seen the color of his skin? Like he obviously hasn't <laughs> been in the sun, which again, like kind of weird to like make a comment about the color of somebody's skin very specific reach there Anne. but no I mean I think like today you would presumably be able to do a little bit of hunting yeah. to see if somebody had been posting TikToks or Instagram stories from Fire Island for more than a few days like there just would have been so much more to work with and there is something fundamentally nostalgic for me as somebody who grew up in the 90s about remembering this time and and of course like there's plenty of drawbacks as we see in the book but there is like a romance to it that you just don't get when we all can constantly stalk each other online yeah and I think considering in particular the secret that Justin is keeping which obviously we will talk about like that just would never happen today like there's just absolutely no possible way that this story would make any sort of sense in today's world. And I think that's kind of what, that's kind of what, while reading it back as an adult, I was like, oh, the nostalgia of this is just like top notch because we know that it couldn't happen today. And it's like a little bit of that, like makes me feel so old whenever I say this, but I'm like, oh, like the simpler times, (laughs) the good old days, (laughs) but it's true. (laughs) Yeah, the good old days when we could stalk each other with binoculars instead of on Instagram. (laughs) So even with her stalking, she she does get the chance to connect with Justin in person. They go on a date, which is very exciting for Mel because, again, she's never been on a date before. The hilarious thing to me about this book is that the quality of the conversation and the quality of the time that Justin and Mel spend together – is so misaligned with the way in which Mel then talks about Justin and the way that other people seem to affirm their relationship is going in this like epic direction. And of course, like this is a book meant for teens, I get it. But we have to acknowledge that today there's such a wealth of amazing YA literature out there. And like there's so much more nuance and like you really do feel the feelings. I buy into the depth of the relationships of YA couples today and it's just it's hard to do that in this book yeah I think that was the thing reading it back that was like the biggest like whoa yeah for me it was like they don't spend any time together I think in my mind this relationship they had built up over the summer was like way deeper than anything we see on the page and yes of course like it's not unrealistic for teenagers to have this sort of insta love like that is totally makes sense to me. But they don't have that many conversations on the page. And the conversations they do have are extremely surface level, like they don't really talk about anything meaningful (laughs) or real at all. And they only spend, you know, like a few days together. And then it's like, by the end of the summer, it's like, they're devastated to be leaving each other. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Like, you don't even know him. You don't know anything about him. And it's that fast paced part of the summer romance was like a little bit jarring. For sure. Because it also, it could have been fast paced, but somehow more intense. Like, yeah. 
to your point, they don't spend that much time together, but I could have bought into it more if in those brief interactions, they'd had this like obsession or these deep conversations and that just doesn't happen. So yeah, that was missing. I did appreciate the fact that that there was this tension between Mel and Lacey because yes. Mel is getting so caught up in her relationship, in quotes, with Justin that Lacey feels like she doesn't have time for her. And that is so relatable. I remember being on both sides of that as a teenager. And I also think that like, because Mel got so caught up in what was going on with Justin and it was so quick and it was so, I would imagine like weird for somebody like Lacey, if she's in our shoes to be like, you guys have spent no time together. I don't think you know anything about each other. And yet I am now your backup plan for Hangs. Of course, Lacey's going to get frustrated. So I was glad that the author was able to work that in. Yeah, that part felt very, very realistic to me. Yeah, and that was one of those moments where I was like, oh yeah, I have I have been the Lacey, I have been the Mel in that situation. I think probably every teenager has gone through something similar to that when you're dealing with, especially friends that you've had since childhood, when that relationship does start to change and shift a little bit and priorities start to change and shift, you know, that's definitely not an easy transition to go through. And I that part felt really well done to me. I would have like to see even more of that honestly but I liked that it was there I agree and it's worth noting that Lacey and Mel have a conversation about Lacey's discomfort with talking to people specifically talking to boys and I did want to call that out because Anna M. Martin in the years since has come out as queer and has talked a little bit about the queer rep in the babysitters club listeners if you haven't listened to our episode about I forget what the title is but it's Marianne likes Logan or Logan likes Marianne. And we talk a lot about queer coding in the series as a whole. So I will link that in the show notes. But I wonder if in this very early stage of her career, maybe Anna M. Martin was like hinting at that a little. I think she could have gone further too. Oh yeah, for sure. And um, that was something that like when I was reading that as a kid, I never would have picked up on. But going back into this, in this reread, I was like, oh, so maybe Lacey like isn't into boys, isn't into dating at all. Like, you know, and I think that that's something that again, in a book that was being written today would be explored much further in more detail, which would have been really cool to see at the time. But I definitely picked up on those on those vibes with Lacey as well. Now we have to talk about some red flags because <laughs> I felt as though Justin was red flag city. And yeah, it's such a testament to the fact that like when you're in it as a teenager, the things that seem so romantic are often actually red flags to the more mature people in your life. And I hate that I'm now on the side of, of the more mature people <laughs> in Mel's life, but we just have to call it like it is. They're getting ready to say their goodbyes for the summer, which is accelerated by a hurricane, which really like wasn't that necessary for the plot because it didn't really change anything. Justin had already kind of like told Mel that it was just a summer romance because he was like, you're going to high school all the boys are going to be so into you as they should be. And like, I don't want you to feel like you have to be tied down, which like red flag number one. Red flag number two is that he tells her that he can't give her his phone number or address. And we are reminded again of this pre-social media weirdness where like, yeah, it was a landline that you would exchange or a, or a home address so that you could send letters or postcards or whatever. And Mel is very quick to give him her information. And she's also very quick to kind of accept the fact that he can't return the favor because 
his parents are moving and he's like, this is just like not a good time for me to like give you my address. I just felt like it was a red flag. What did you think? Yeah, definitely. And it's hard for me to separate my full knowledge of the book because I have no memory of like reading this for the first time. So I know, you know, as a reader, like why he is making those decisions. But yeah, the fact that like, she just is like, oh, okay, you don't want me to contact you at all (laughs) or like have any of your information? Sure, no problem. In today's world, it's like, okay, if somebody didn't give you their phone number and you wanted to connect with them, like there are ways that you could find them and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But obviously that's not a thing that you could do at this point in time. So I did think that was very strange. I think for me reading it back, the biggest red flag was like that he doesn't tell her anything about himself like she has no idea who he is he gives her like little tidbits about his parents but it's mostly like they're divorced and my dad lives in new york and my mom's moving to california and like that's it like there's nothing like she is pretty open and like you know that's just her personality like she shares a lot and he is just like closed door no information yeah she's also very quick to trust that his judgment about their relationship and what should happen next is fine good and I I think that that was probably also very of the time I don't know that it's something that I necessarily would have questioned if I'd read this closer to its publication date but now putting on like a big sister hat trying to like big sister Mel a little bit She spends a lot of time in this book questioning herself, questioning, especially once she goes back to school in the suburbs, like, Mm -hmm. is he thinking of me? Like, does he love me as much as I love him? Oh, but it's fine because he said it's just a summer romance. And like, that was the best course of action. That I obviously like would not be as acceptable today. Like, why are you so quick to just decide that he knows best? He's a year older than you. Again, these hotties on the front of the book are 15 and 14. (laughs) And he barely knows you. You really don't know him at all, to your point, Fallon. And so why do you just assume that what he says goes? Even in the 90s or early aughts, like, my friends, my mom, my stepmom definitely would have been like, why are you just, like, listening to him? Yeah. I do think there is a little bit of when you're in your first relationship and you are so young, you really have no idea what to expect. And... So I think sometimes you just sort of like give yourself over to that other person. Yeah. And he is older, quote unquote. And he does give off this air of like being more experienced, I think. And so I think that's part of the reason why she's just like, yeah, okay. I do also think it's very strange that Justin at one point has to leave the beach to like go back to New York for like a week to work. And like no one questions like what is so important for this 15 year old that he has like what kind of job do you have? Are you going back to like work at, you know, TGI Fridays or Subway or whatever, like whatever job you have when you're 15? Like that that was strange. Are you like a cardiologist? Like what are you? (laughs) Why do you what's the rush? What's the urgency? That part was very weird. I was like, wait, he's going back to work that that I mean, it tracks once you know what's going on. But in that in that moment, somebody should have been like, that's a little strange. Yeah. Well, I'll let you do the honors of sharing what is really going on, because a lot of things come to light for Mel once she is back home in Bronxville. Yes. And I think this is the way that this romance plays out is 
highly responsible for all of my like adult romance tastes. So Mel is at school one day and or I think she's uh she's at the school. Everybody's talking about this like new kind of like heartthrob TV star. And then she and her sister are out shopping and she finds like this new issue of People magazine that has this new heartthrob on it. And she looks at the magazine and on the cover is Justin. So this whole time that he he was working in the city, his big important job is that he is like filming a new TV show. So he is now like slated. I mean, in my mind, he's like Jonathan Taylor Thomas, like, yeah, you know, this sort of like 90s heartthrob that everybody has the posters on the wall and he's on this, you know, TV sitcom that's going to be super popular and he's in movies that are coming out and he's, you know, now this huge celebrity and she had no idea the entire time. He obviously told her nothing (laughs) about who he is, which on Justin's part was a little strange to think that she wasn't going to figure it out at some point like obviously she was going to find out at some point so to not like give her any sort of heads up or warning was definitely a choice that he made that was not great but yeah I think that it just totally fed into again that like wish fulfillment of like I want to date a tv star I want to fall in love with a celebrity and have a celebrity fall in love with me like didn't we all want that moment and so when that you know, happens for her. I was just like, all my dreams, they're coming true right there. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah. It's the sense of like, um, it's, it's almost like this, like the prince falling in love with the commoner narrative. Yes. It's like the oldest romance in the book. It's the one that like kind of fucked us all up, but also is yes. responsible <laughs> for all of our love for romance and, and love stories. But Mella, like, is she has very complicated feelings about it because she's pissed that he lied to her. Cheer point, Fallon. Like, yeah, he knew that this TV show that he's on is premiering in the fall, and he has to know that it's gonna be a big deal. And so she's mad that that he didn't tell her. I think at this point she starts to ask herself some of the questions that you and I were asking about the red flags. Like, why did he not feel like he could be honest with me? It almost bothers her more now because she sees that he's going to have this fame attached to him. She is immediately very upset about the fact that he has this really cute co-star, Tanya. And so she decides, as any logical teenager would, that naturally he's now in a relationship with the beautiful Tanya. She also is, like, questioning whether or not he was, like, using her. Like, was she just convenient while he was there for the summer? And that is a very logical reaction to me. I think it would have felt logical to me in 1987. And it still feels like a very reasonable, practical way to feel about all of this. Yeah, I think her – and actually, I think, like, reading this back, I didn't realize how much time we spent – with them in the second half like in my memory the first half of the book when they're at the beach and it's almost like exactly 50 percent in at the beach and then 50 percent post beach summer in my mind they spent so much more time together at the beach and then we had just like a little sliver of what happened afterwards but it was really interesting to see her you know discover this information 
after she's already sort of like processed her feelings about like not, you know, seeing him again, you know, she starts dating like another guy. She's like trying to hang out with him and like sort of move on. And then, you know, she's like hit with this bombshell. And then, you know, she has to deal with her feelings about that. But I felt like her reaction was very realistic and relatable in that she is struggling with, you know, why didn't he tell me this? Um, I thought that that was like really that part I felt was really well done. Um, and then it it's true. Like, I think that, you know, of course we all have this like fantasy of like dating and falling in love with a celebrity or maybe not all of us, but I always certainly did when I was a kid, but there's a lot that goes along with that. Like, it's not easy to date somebody who is in the public eye and has all of these eyeballs on them and is with all these beautiful co-stars all the time. Like that's a lot to deal with. Like as an adult, like as a 14 year old girl, when you are sort of in that awkward time of your life and maybe struggling with your confidence a little bit, like that's a lot to expect a 14 year old to handle maturely. So I think maybe the only like sort of sliver of unrealistic part in Mel's way she handles it, it was almost like too mature. Mm. (laughs) Like how she, how she processed everything. Yeah. It felt inconsistent, especially with like the way that she was in the first half of the book. Like she was so immature about, Justin in the first half of the book and then it felt like she was suddenly like a 35 year old woman in the second half so I can see how that that doesn't quite work she does try to move on as you said she dates this other boy poor sweet PJ Perkins who is just so into her and she like goes to the movies with him knowing really full well that nothing's gonna happen and he does end up like asking her to be his girlfriend which was really sweet so cute and she says no (laughs) Just because Justin, <laughs> we also are reminded again that there are no cell phones because she looks in the phone book for Justin's yes. information. <laughs> and <laughs> the best part is that his last name is Hart. And yeah. like, respectfully, these idiots are looking up the name Hart in the New York City phone book as if <laughs> they're going to just easily land on his name. <laughs> I was like, ladies, like, come on, this is just not, you're not going to get anywhere with this. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I did like the phone book callback. That was that was fun. And also that she looks in like the actual physical TV guide. Yes. Like she's like, I got to find when this show is on. (laughs) I used to love a TV guide. Oh, yeah. And you had to like, she has to when the show premieres, she has to like, sit down and watch it at the time when it's on. Yep, that's it. You don't get another chance. Yeah. She decides to go visit Lacey in New York City. Her summer best friend, Lacey, lives in New York. And so she's like, I'm I'm under too much pressure with all of this drama with the, the men and PJ. And it's just too much. I'm going to go hang out with Lacey for the day. And they find their way to Lincoln Center where they're having like a, some sort of a convention. Like it's a benefit for yeah. um, a nonprofit where stars from a few different TV shows are signing photos and taking pictures and that kind of thing. And once they're in the city, Mel discovers that this is happening. And she's like, we must go. Justin's going to be there. And he writes his number on a little piece of paper and gives it to her, which was cute. I really liked that. Yeah. And they end up having the conversation about about like why he lied to her or at least why he didn't tell her the truth about himself. And she finally like gets the answers that she was looking for. How did you feel about those answers? Did you feel like they were satisfactory? 
So I think the one thing that sort of bothered me about the ending, reading it back, was he had her phone number this entire time. Yes. So he could have gotten in contact with her at any point. And, you know, he sort of like plays it off as like, I didn't realize until I saw you again, like how much I missed you. But in the meantime, you know, he's been like hanging out with other girls and like doing all his TV things. And so that part, I was just a little bit like, "Mm, I don't, I don't know if that tracks. But I did like the conversation that they have at the end. And again, it almost felt too mature for the characters that we had seen so far like for them to sit down and have this really like honest conversation which is great and I liked that but it didn't necessarily feel like that's what these two characters would have done in that moment I like that for them and I'm glad that it happened it didn't necessarily like fully buy into it yeah I think we just need more time to really suss things out with him but they do decide that they're gonna give it a try they're gonna have sort of like casual long distance relationship. We end the book seeing them on a date in New York City. He of course is like incognito because he is such a celebrity. And we don't really know where things could take them. I did see that these two characters reappear in another one of Anne M. Martin's books later on. So I guess she must have really liked them. I thought that this book was a wild 1987 ride it was quick it was light it gave me all kinds of memories of why I had such unreasonable potentially unhealthy expectations (laughs) about relationships when I was a teenager yeah and I'm glad that I got to read this this is a new side of Anne for me and I'm glad you introduced introduced me to it I'd love to hear from you Fallon what the experience overall of coming back to this book was like. As you said, you don't necessarily remember all the details of reading it when you were a kid, but it clearly made its mark. And I'd just love to hear about sort of how it compares maybe to your expectations of it. Yeah, I think overall as a kid, what it left me with was this, like I felt like I was on this like unending search for books that give you that feeling where you just feel like you can fall in love at any moment and have this, you know, perfect relationship and love is like right around the corner and you can find it at any time. And, you know, obviously I think that in a lot of ways that's not a great expectation in your real life, but searching that out in books is awesome and uh, I am here for that. I think reading it back, yes, there were definitely lots of those moments that gave me that sort of like ick factor or the or the red flags or the, you know, warning, warning, danger, danger kind of signs. But for me, the overall feeling of reading this back was just the nostalgia and remembering what it felt like to read those kinds of books as a teenager. And you're just so naive at that point. And you're not jaded with relationships. You haven't had all of those, you know, maybe not so great relationship experiences yet. So everything just feels like hopeful and optimistic. And I think that that's a feeling that when you're reading romance, you're still kind of always looking for like you want you want that happy ending. Like that's why we're reading romance in the first place. So it was it was fun to go back and look at it. And of course, a little bit scary that like, oh, wow, those were all the things that we read and and saw in our lives over and over again that are not so great. But overall, it was just the joy. I still found the joy in it. Good. Well, and we have a book like Just a Summer Romance to thank for your work, which we'll talk about in a second. 
But in the meantime, I do want to hear what else you have been reading lately that's been great that you would recommend to our listeners. Um, so many things. This is the problem now is I have too many amazing books to read. So some of my recent favorites, I really, really loved uh, Pride and Protest by Nikki Payne, which I am actually not a Pride and Prejudice fan. Um, I've just never been able to actually sit down and read that book and get through it. But I love Pride and Prejudice retellings. I don't know why that is for me. But that one I thought was so so good and talk about a good meet cute that book has a fantastic meet cute and i recently read for her consideration by amy spaulding which will be out by the time this drops which is a celebrity romance i think uh i have always been drawn to celebrity romance maybe this book was <laughs> the reason why but it is about a woman who works for like a talent agent and through that she hooks up with this tv star um it's a sapphic romance it's set in la it's got like perfect immaculate la vibes and it's even though the woman like works for a talent agent she still is kind of like normal person so it's like celebrity normal person which i am trash for and apparently have been my whole life and i love it (laughs) amazing well i will make sure that we include links to both of those in the show notes for this episode now i want to talk about your new book which as this episode drops will have been out in the world for a little over a month it's called just my type and i want to hear all about it Yeah, so Just My Type is a second chance romance. Uh, It's about two high school sweethearts who broke up when they went to colleges on opposite sides of the country, and they don't really see or talk to each other much in the uh, aftermath of that breakup. Uh, And then our main character, Alana, basically on the first page, gets dumped by her boyfriend and has the kind of night that you have after you get dumped where, you know, she is gets really drunk with her best friend (laughs) and the next morning when she's like super hungover and obviously had this terrible night uh she shows up at her office she writes for like a pop culture la based uh website and her high school ex-boyfriend seth is there he is now working for the website and when her boss finds out that these two have a romantic past she decides to pit them against each other in a competition which many people have informed me is an hr nightmare <laughs> and i'm sure it is um, but they do it anyway uh, so they are forced to compete for this job they have to spend all this time together completing these tasks for the competition uh, and of course as they do that they fall back in love oh well listeners you've got to get yourself a copy of it congratulations Fallon on this new book I'm excited to get my hands on a copy myself and it has been so much fun chatting with you thank you for taking the time thank you so much for having me this was such a blast from the past and I loved it (laughs) thanks bye SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. 
In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR podcast.